Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, we're joined by Elise Emery. Originally from Atlanta, Elise studied sociology at Georgia State University before settling in New York City. She has successfully managed marketing and event production for clients including HBO, A&E Television, Urban World Film Festival, the Apollo Theater, Circle of Life Celebration Pride Memorial, Third Wave Foundation, UNESCO, and others. She served on committees for the New York City Communities Board LGBTQ Town Hall, New York City Black Pride, and as a member of Harlem Pride's founding advisory board. With activist and nonprofit consultant Kim Ford, Elise co-founded the Beyond Bold and Brave Conference to address the marginalization of Black African descent lesbians who have few public spaces dedicated to addressing issues unique to them. Beyond Bold and Brave conferences have taken place at Barnard College in 2016, 2018, and will take place again in 2020. The theme of the 2020 conference will be Revolutionary Wellness. Elise is a member of the African Atlantic Research Team of Michigan State University and presented with the team at the Association for Worldwide African Diaspora Conference. She also serves on the Health and Wellness and Economic Development Committees of North Manhattan Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Elise, Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Thank you very much. I am happy and blessed to be here. I know that's right. You know, my aunt always would say anytime that you you wake up this side of the ground, it's a good day. (laughs) Amen to that. Thank you to your aunt. She's correct. (laughs) Yes, that's true. You know, so, well, I'll tell you, you know, it was funny when Creating Change was here and I had talked to... um, one of your co-founders at Beyond Bold and Brave about you uh, mm-hmm. when we were talking about it with Kim. And um, it was funny that we were sitting in a workshop, like what the L, and yeah. I looked up and it was you and you were, you know, and it was like that, that instant connection and uh, wanting to follow up with you and, and to, to find out about you. And then it's so like, often it seems like our paths cross. I was in Atlanta, mm-hmm. you were in Atlanta, but we didn't connect, although mm-hmm. we connected on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You're an Atlanta girl 
who lives in New York. <laughs> how, how, how long have you been in New York? Well, I've been in New York, I would say, going on about 28 years. This is actually mm. my second time being uh-huh. in New York. Um, I Most of my growing up years were spent in Atlanta, but I was actually born in the Bay Area and lived in uh, Bailey City, California, until I was about seven, seven or eight, and then we moved to Atlanta. So Atlanta was a lot, the main base for me, but I also claimed my Bay Area time as well. Um, so, yes, yeah, about 28 years here in New York this time. So you have that experience of being West Coast, Southern, and East Coast. Yeah, I do. I have a little bit of all of those. How do, how do you feel that, that that travel has affected you and made you the woman that you are? Well, I'll tell you, the travel has been most beneficial. I love to travel now in any opportunities I get to travel because I enjoy interacting with communities beyond where I live. Um, our Society is made up of communities of different kinds of people, different culture, races, perspectives, and such, and generations. So I am always excited to meet those persons and hear about their lives and their work. And I also enjoy just seeing the physical landscape of different areas, different cities, different counties here in New York City, different um States and cities here in the U.S., but I also enjoy traveling abroad, visiting different countries. It just makes my life experience even more robust and gives me a, um, I guess, a more realistic view of the human condition and what life is like and such. It's not so narrow. So I love it. It, it, It contributed greatly to me. When you, you know, you spent a good deal of time in Atlanta and then you moved to New York, was there a, do you still recognize a difference in the culture? I mean, I was talking to someone and um, they were talking about a friend of theirs who was also have been lived in the South and they said, well, that's the difference. That's how you can always tell somebody who's from the South, like they move a little slower, they think a little this, they do a little that. Do you recognize a difference culturally? There are differences socially as well as culturally. Um, I don't particularly put one element over the other um, because I think human beings create what they need for their uh, living, for their communities and such. Um, That's not just now, that's historically. So there are some differences, but I embrace it. I am a Southern girl. I enjoy, uh, if you will, the slower pace or elements of the South where we speak to everybody, hello, how are you, uh, those types of things. The food, of course, is always marvelous and wonderful. <laughs> but I also love, I'm telling you, when I was in Atlanta that time, you saw me near the beer there for the uh, Atlanta Black Pride. And my first night there, I was staying at the hotel and they had a buffet and for dessert, one of the offerings was peach cobbler, where you know I had uh-huh. some peach cobbler, because that brought back all the wonderful memories of mom and grandmamas and elders making the peach cobbler, teaching me, and we eating it. So that was fun. 
Um, but in New York City here, which is a you know serious flip of lifestyle, if you will, um, everything yes, it's faster. Things are more in terms of people where we live, definitely more concentrated. Um, there are approaches to life that are different. Um, they're different, but they also like they, they see that exciting side for me. Um, and at the time I moved here, this was the place for me to be for the work that I wanted to go into. Um, so the time I spent in Atlanta growing up, I actually went and then came back to Atlanta to finish my college work at Georgia State University. Then I spent some time working at Clark Atlanta University and then came to New York. Um, the work that I wanted to do led me to come to New York, um, the media work and such. So I think they're both, uh, they're different, but they both really, um, feed me, if you will. They do feed mm-hmm. me um, as that whole person that I am. And I don't deny any of it. It's like, okay, I'll have my moments where, okay, I need to go back down south. Mm-hmm. I just need to get the red clay in my feet and under my fingernails. I need some serious heat humidity. I need to see my people and whatnot. Um, and then I come home to New York, um, which also feeds me as well. So it's beneficial mm-hmm. on both sides. Both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you said that, you know, you wanted to, you needed to be in New York for the work that you did. Now that you mm-hmm. see, you know, I mean, you see things that happen in Atlanta. You had, oh, what's his name? Uh, Tyler Perry just opened his, his, mm-hmm. Tyler his Perry. studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. And I know other people who, like, when you think of the arts, like people, you know, like they in New York, some of them are in California. You find some in Chicago. What was it about New York specifically where you felt, you know, was it like the song, like, if you can make it there, you could make it anywhere? <laughs> that was part of it. There were a few factors. So the first factor was I felt that I had done everything I could do as a professional black woman in Atlanta, who grew up in Atlanta, very familiar with Atlanta, loving Atlanta, but at the time, I wanted to grow. I was working at Clark Atlanta University, producing activities for our student body, and that was a lot of fun. I loved that experience. I grew so much, but I reached, I believe, what was the pinnacle for me. So the question became, what is it that you want to do? And I talked with some folks who suggested that I look into going into media, specifically marketing, um, specific marketing to African-American markets. This is in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, where things we're focusing on African-American marketing. We have what we call the golden age of hip-hop, and young brothers and sisters are creating this art through music, creating it through film and such, and I loved it. Part of my work at Clark was to interface with entertainment companies in Atlanta, who, of course, were promoting this, uh, this art, primarily the music, and the folk I worked with bringing artists on campus were saying, you know, at least you have some really good skills. You should consider doing this work, and I had no interest in being a marketing coordinator and such, running behind artists and things of that nature. But I did have an interest in cable because I thought that cable television was, at that time, 
was pure cash, and I wanted mm. to be in an environment that would nurture my creativity, support, encourage, and nurture my creativity and how to market product, media product to African-American community. So for me, the place to be, the pinnacle for any media was New York City. So I decided to come here, and my father was still living here. He was, excuse me, the chief of the Schomburg Center for quite some time. So I moved here and moved with him and just did that, you know, meeting with folk, informational interviews and things of that nature, reading all of the trades, the Hollywood Report, a variety and such, uh, volunteering my time with uh, events, film festivals and such, trying to make my way into media and eventually through the referral of someone who was close to an executive in HBO, I made my way there as a temp, and that started my tenure at HBO. I was there for almost 10 years, and it was exciting because that was at the time when the dot-com and Internet world was just beginning, and people really didn't know what the hell that was. They thought we were a bunch of geeks sitting around in our slippers and pajamas <laughs> in front of computers. Oh, man, I don't know what that uh-huh, is. Uh-huh. But what we were able to do at HBO was to create another arm of content and connect it to our uh, acquisition initiatives to get people to become new excuse me, subscribers to the system or to retain those who were already there. So there were a lot of resources being pulled, uh, given to those projects, and I was fortunate enough to work on some of those projects, i.e. the Sinbad Soul Music Festival and a few others. Then I made my way. Excuse me, I'm going backwards. I'm sorry. I was in target marketing first and then went into .com. Um, I was hired to be a uh, content producer for .com, which was really exciting. I got to interview casts of different shows and different projects and programs, and then just convert that content on to convert that content and put it out via the HBO.com website. Very, very exciting time. Very, very exciting. And I don't think I could have done that in Atlanta. I'm, I'm pretty confident I couldn't have done that in Atlanta. So it was a smart move to do that. Uh-huh. And then I left HBO, went to A&E for a little bit, and then be focused my Work. I began working as a consultant, focusing on producing events, film festivals, and all kinds of other cultural events and such. You know, do you? You know, at that point in time, and I and I don't know how many more how it, it's opened up, but you did you see many women, not only black women, but and forget the same gender loving, but just black mm-hmm. women in that field at that time. The percentage of them to the white men, of course, is very, very low, very, very low. We pretty much kind of knew each other. Uh, In my field specifically at HBO doing the dot-com work, very, very few, very, very, very few women. Um, We were content producers. Um, We really came from marketing, a variety of areas of marketing, because, again, the primary goal was to retain the, um, oh, gosh, what is it called? The, the, the money, the financial part. Retain, keep, keep, retain the 
subscribers and acquire more subscribers, which we were doing. But there were very, very few. Luckily, at HBO, we had Olivia Smasham, whom I'm, I think she may have retired by now. Olivia Smasham was black African descent woman from South Carolina who made her way from secretary to become an executive vice president in marketing at HBO. And I immediately identified with her even before I started working at HBO. I read about her in my Uh research and I was attracted because one, she was more than competent but superb in her work, but also, and this is important, Michelle, she was a darker skinned black woman with short Mm. hair, which was the total opposite of the image that our media likes to portray our uh, black women as. They want us to keep to that concept concept of a woman smaller, black black woman smaller bodied, uh, Uh lighter complected, long hair, straight hair. And Olivia was totally not that. So I was already, ding, 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 ding. oh, my gosh, I was an inspiration. And I was fortunate enough to be, come into her department, and then my direct supervisor while I was in target marketing was a sister, uh, Sherry Corrette Bell, who was just so nurturing and so inspiring and supportive, gave me projects that she knew would um, not just keep me, keep me engaged, that's what I wish to say, keep uh-huh. me engaged as well as grow the uh, innate skills and talents that I had. And there were others in the company, but again, compared to the overall population, very, very few. I will say this, Michelle, the sisters that I ran across at HBO were marvelously not just competent, but competent beyond what I could tell the jobs that they were doing. And they were design directors. Um, We had, I think, one maybe possibly in our department, HBO.com. I can't remember right now because that was a while ago. Um, Just uh, in, uh, gosh, marketing, of course. And then we had some sisters who moved into programming and became uh, executives in programming. It was a tough fight. It was tough. It was tough. And, again, that's just for, like you said, black women, uh-huh. whether they are LGBTQ, same the loving, I didn't know, I didn't care to know, you know, not my uh-huh. business. But they, they were there, but it was tough. It was very, very tough. tough. You know, because you have mentoring in your background as, as part of your mm-hmm. volunteer experience, you mentoring, mentoring. Did you find that because there are these women seeing women who you identified to, who, who weren't like what society was saying, okay, but these were real women, these were sisters who you could identify with, did that encourage you to sort of say, you know what, I'm going to be that mentor going forward? Or had you throughout your life been influenced by people who, who showed that mentoring wasn't just like something, you know, that only certain people did. It was a role that we could all play. It was a combination of both, Michelle. I grew up in a family. Um, I said this at the opening of the Black Lesbian Conference last year. I grew up in a family that from the time I was in the womb said, we are going to do everything 
to help this child live the best possible life that she can. And practically every experience I had growing up with immediate family, extended family and such lent itself to that. Part of that overall goal, part of that overall goal and process, if you will, was you absolutely must give back. Absolutely no one in this world, in this period, this part of the multiverse gets anywhere, does anything on their own, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. The, boots, the, the whole idea of bootstrap is a fallacy. It's false. It is, it's just not true. But we, any individual, does not get anywhere on their own. You take that posture and then you say black people, people of color, yes, but black folk, we get to where we need to be because we support each other. That is our history. History, I'm talking about before slavery. We're talking about the days of Mount Musa and whatnot uh, and the motherland. We support the village. The village supports us. The family supports us. Extended family supports us. And you got to give back to that. Whatever it is you can give, it's not about money. It's mm-hmm. about showing that sincere and authentic uh, commitment to lifting up the, the, uh, the community, lifting up our people, lifting up those who make us strong and will continue to make us strong. So you give back, but you also give forward. So I grew up with that, grew up with that. Everything I did, um, even though there were times where I was like, what the hell is this? These people are crazy. What's wrong with these black people? I don't want to, you know, we have those experiences. Mm-hmm. But overall, Michelle, it was that. So I have to give back in a variety of ways. My uh, 57, 58 years on this earth, which is a blessing, I give back as I can, whether it's with family, whether I do it with Black Lesbian Conference or the work I do with NYC Black Pride, Circle of Life, HBO, with my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta sorority, I give back as, mm-hmm. as, as best we can. We determine where we fit in best in that process of giving back, and that's, you know, where we land. That's how I feel. It's it's a it's a must. It's an absolute must. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. You know, it is. You know, like you said, but I point up by the bootstraps. You know, somebody gave something to make those boots, so you that's have right. those boots, so you that's can right. pull up. You know, you know, the straps were hard enough so that that you could pull up by it. So you know, that that is correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is that is correct. I I like to say somebody gave you a rail pass to go somewhere. Somebody fed you with a piece of chicken. Somebody made a situation so you could go to school. Somebody gave you a television. Somebody let you read a book, you know, homegirls or whatever. Somebody along the way, whatever it was, they did that. So you could benefit from a situation and move on and grab, like you say, those bootstraps that somebody made sure were there for you. Yes, ma'am. Totally agree. So um, we're going to take our first break here, and um, Mm -hmm. then we're going to talk about some more of your life's work building up to this this conference that's going to come in 2020. So we'll be right back.
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. here on Collections by Michelle Brown with Elise Yay. Emery. Yay! One of the Yay. things that I was reading about you is like, and I'm wondering how, I'll tell you what made me, what really struck me. Okay, I was, um, went to a meeting of young lesbians, well, young, you know, they were more young than whatever, and um, they were talking very specifically about their issues, and at one point, I talked about, you know, how we had connect with members of our community across the African diaspora because we couldn't just solve our issues and not worry about what was happening to members of the LGBTQ community in Africa and South America. And one of the things when you were a mentor and advisor of the African Ancestral Lesbians United for Societal Change is that you talked about providing a community space for same-gender-loving women of the African diaspora. How important is that to you that we do recognize our connection, our shared oppression, our shared struggle, and our shared successes? It is a priority that we do because we are, we do share them with other cultures um, throughout the world. We do share them. It's important that we, it, I'm sorry, it is important that we recognize them because we can learn from them. We can learn from those experiences and take those learnings and understandings and apply them to our work so we know even better what we're up against and how we can come up with solutions to resolve those issues for ourselves. No one lives in a vacuum, period. On this earth, in this multiverse, no one lives in a vacuum. We're all connected as human beings, people of color primarily in a society that prioritizes capital over humans. Those of us who um, are recipients of all of those oppressions and isms and whatnot, um, that's a constant thread. That is a consistent thread. So it is important that we engage across those um, cultural lines and such. Does it mean that we completely immerse ourselves in 
those fights, those struggles and activities. If we choose to do that, and some may choose to do that, that's fine. If that's how they feel, they can, that individual feels that can help them resolve the issue that they have taken the mantle up for. That's fine. My, specific, my area is black, African-descended women, people who identify and live as women, people who identify and live as LGBTQI+, same gender loving. That's, that's my focus primarily. Um, and I just try to be in that space and do the absolute best that I can, drawing from my experiences. Uh, the work I do with Alusk is really an, as you say, advisory mentoring situation. Um, and it, it, it just works. It just works within that environment with the conference, Black Lesbian Conference, when it was with NYC Black Pride, when it's with Circle of Life, when it's with Delta Sigma Theta, you know, all of it, uh-huh. all of it, every single bit of it, it is about providing um, what I know to move my target people forward in health, in physical, emotional, and spiritual health so that we can fight against these factors that have kept us, that have tried, excuse me, tried to eliminate us. If they're not, because I'm here. My mama is here. Kim is here. They try and will continue to try. They think, they think their resolve has been strengthened, particularly in this country because the idiot is in the White House. But, you know, no, that's where I live. That's where I live, to keep us moving forward, to keep us strong as I can. Well, you know, you know, you, you, particularly at this, at this point in time, visibility I mean, and, you know, I know a lot of people, I've met people who are like, you know, well, and black gay people, I mean, and and black lesbians who have said, you know, well, I'm going to quiet this down right now because the atmosphere is so hostile. And Mm -hmm. um, there is a, I met a woman who talked about how her doctor was cool with her till she got married and wanted to change her name to her wife's and started talking about it. And suddenly there was attention, and she ended up looking mm-hmm. for another doctor. How mm-hmm. important is visibility? And do you sometimes, like, do you have a moment when you go, like, you know, okay, I'd like to sit down and be quiet, but no, I need to be out here because just being out here is making a difference? Mm-hmm. I have those moments frequently. <laughs> I look, but no, I do, I do. Mm-hmm. One because I can't do me singularly. Elise Dodson, daughter, mother, grandmother, sister, niece, great grandchild, um, can't do all of it. Physically, cannot do all of it. Emotionally, cannot do all of it. And not my strongest if I tried to do it all. And there's so much to do. So. I often practice moments of discernment, which is to say, damn, that is a priority. Damn, that is too. Damn, what are we, What am I going to do? And I take the moments, all right, Elise, hold on. Let's get back to your core. What is it that you are really about and what makes sense? Sometimes I will, I have to 
share some of those things with others who I know are in this fight. I may send you an email, Michelle, what's this, or uh, Marianne in Atlanta. You all know about this? I just heard, you know, check this out. You follow what I'm saying? Sharing Mm -hmm. it with community of folk who I know are doing this work just to see if we can move things and spread that because we all are responsible. We all have, we, once we decide what we're going to do, we have a responsibility, yes. So my responsibility is keep myself tight so I can keep my work going, but I can't keep myself tight if I'm trying to do anything because I can't do anything. So I tend to share that um, as I can. I also, things that I can work on, I do, but again, it goes back to that, Michelle. If I can't, I just share it. I just share it. I belong to an organization here in New York called the Black and Latino LGBTQ Coalition in New York City. And we are, as it says, a coalition of between 20 and 35 organizations in the five borough areas whose work is focused on black and of color, LGBTQI and SGL organizations that are doing work. I'm, I'm very, very serious. It's me with Beyond Bold and Brave Black Lesbian Conference. We got Harlem Pride at the table. We have CK Life and Transgender Advocacy Group at the table. You know, all, you know, all manner of organizations at the table, partially to do exactly what we're talking about here, which is what's going on. Okay, this is happening. We know this. We know about that. Because we know we can't do it by ourselves. It's more effective if we can do it through our community-based um, collectives and such um, and have folks address them. There was another part to your question, Michelle. I'm trying to remember. It was, I should have written it down. So two parts. What well, I just answered, yeah. and there was something else. But you know what it comes back. But you know what? That part. I mean, you know, that is so. It's something that you learn over time. And I know that often when I see, you know, don't you like? I I love it when I see, you know, like the real, you know, like sort of young, and they're just like really, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, geeks, and they're trying to do it. But then Mm -hmm. you want to say, you know, that that cautionary tale, not like that you can't do it all. And mm-hmm. how to like to share that? How did yes. you how did you reach that point? You know, was it just like did you reach that point where right? Sometimes it's like it's like oh God, I just can't do anything more, and I have to reach out and somebody's there. Or did you have someone who at a certain point said, "Girl, let me tell you, <laughs> you know, you know, and here <laughs> I am." Uh, it's both for those. It's both of those. It, no, it's both of those. And, again, I am blessed and thankful that I have girls, men, whomever they say, uh, yo, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what, what are you doing? Even within the work of Beyond Bold and Brave Black Lesbian Conferences, it's at least, hold on, what are we doing here? Let's, let's go back to what, what is our focus? And, I, and sometimes I've had to do that with some of our team members who have phenomenal ideas and they want to go, whether they're old or my generation, older, and they want to go in these directions because these ideas are important. But I have to say, in the room of Beyond Bold and Great Black Lesbian Conference, 
This is what we are charged to do and committed to do. What you're saying is something that's important, and I try to encourage them, get the information, research and see what it is. If there is an element that we can take on, we will consider it. If we can't take it on, we can't. But please, you do that if you think you can do it. So, yes, I have had my coat pulled. Uh, I pulled the coat. No, and I'm thankful. Uh-huh. You know, at the time, you're like, wow, well, don't get You think they're trying to burst your bubble, but what they're doing is protecting you, protecting you, especially, and I will say her name because she may not always, I don't care, uh, Kim Ford, who has been uh, a lifesaver as someone who helps to guide me into all of this work, not just this work, but work before Beyond Bold and Brave BLC, um, because she's been there. She's been on the front mm-hmm. line. She has done that, and she knows the cost that folks have paid with their uh, selves and their emotional selves and relationships and family relationships. But she knows what that, excuse me, she knows what that, knows what that's like. And I thank the creator that Kim has been on my side and mm. has been honest and has been honest. The honesty is crucial to say at least, yes, go for it. We got to do this. Or at least, okay, but consider this. Consider this. Wait a minute. Hold on. You're going to come back, come back, come back. Um, so, yes, that's, that's, how I, that's how I manage it. Um, uh-huh. But I do want to say something very quickly, and that is go ahead. What, what helps me, as in what I've learned that helps me do any kind of work, quite frankly, even when I was at HBO or when I was in Atlanta, Clark Atlanta, it all, and all the subsequent projects that I've worked on, it is imperative that we have as many generations to the table as possible. Amen. So even though we know and understand that this is how our young ones, whatever that generation is, 30 and under, and child, that keeps, that, that keeps changing. And I say, young, yeah, it's like, ooh, 30 and under. No, it's 20 and What is it? Um, but it doesn't matter. We, as best as we can, we are better if we have them at the table because they have a lot to offer. They really do, and they are the ones carrying forth. So it is necessary for us to have them. Does that mean that we let them run amok? No. Does that mean that we run amok? No way. But we come together. We work collaboratively. We really, we really, really have to do that. And we try. We do, we do our best. That's one of our priorities with Black Lesbian Conference is to bring more young people to our table, not just as conference attendees, but to the planning process to get their ideas and to hear from them about what they want to do and what their priorities are to help keep them strong and moving forward doing this work. I just wanted to share that. Oh, you know, and I'm glad that you did because I think that, you know, because we are thinking along the same way, because it is so important. Often I hear people go like, oh, those millennials. And and I'll hear millennials Mm -hmm. go like, oh, they don't want to hear it. But we all have so much that we can share and bring together. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I often tell people, you know, I have worked with people from all generations throughout my life, and I think that that helps Mm -hmm. it. But, I, I mean, when you stop and you think about, what we're able to do now. And right. 
using like social media, using Peter. I don't have to learn all of that. I mean, there's a way that you want to, but there's some things like if I say, oh, I need, we really need to get the word out, where back in the day we were making up, you know, flyers and running around and trying to hit here and do there and make mm-hmm, sure and talk mm-hmm. and wearing yourself out, whereby mm-hmm. collaborating, they might bring something totally different to the table, but we get it done. And so yeah. it's not a them against us. It's, it's just us. It's just us, and it's even and, and it's even more than just the outreach effort. Yes, they have that; mm-hmm. they know those tools, but they got brains and they Thank have you. ideas. And they they it's true. I guilty. I sometimes like you damn millennials. What the what in the world? <laughs> no, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. But, but a mm-hmm. part of it. I'm sorry. I'm gonna go there. A part of the reason why. This generation and maybe the generation before them gives us such pause and frustration is because they did not get from us what they should have gotten in terms mm-hmm. of educating themselves, about getting the education about who they, their people, who they are, what is history, what is the true history of this country and capitalism and racism and all that stuff. They didn't get it. So they mm-hmm. run around here, you know, they, they, they kind of, they're not handicapped, that's the wrong word, but they don't have the full. They don't have full and truth, as my mother likes to say. They don't have the truth. So naturally, they're going to believe and co-op what they get through um, using these tactics and tools, these new tools of social media and such. But given that, they got brains. They're, they're listening. I, I have run into many young folk who are listening. They want to hear what the family is. What is that? What is that? They want to know. And then they go off, just like we did, our generation did. And they'll learn however way they learn, but they learn. But, again, the space should be open for them to come. Of course, there are parameters which everybody has to adhere to, respect and all safe space, but the spaces should be open as much as possible because they are part of this world, this community, this universe, this planet. We got to do it. We got to do it. I'm paying very close attention to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. close. Them young people in Hong Kong, they're not playing very, very, very close attention to that and a country over in the motherland that pushed for, um, uh, that pushed and pushing. Oh, gosh. It's the country where Shelly Tiam, the sister with none on record, is paying very close attention to what's going on there. It's not extremely serious. Well, you, you know, the part that you said about history is, like, so important because um, there was uh, – a woman who did a, a documentary about older lesbians and their, who have been in relationships. And in part, she did, Dr. Watson did it because she had talked to some young lesbians who said, you know, well, you know, we can get married. We have all this, where were, where were, where were y'all? And she did this because, and what it helped is lots of our history was hidden. So nobody mm. knew it and it wasn't taught. And to see that, some of the same struggles and things that they're having now, they had back then, but they couldn't be all out and open. And so mm-hmm. it helped develop that conversation. When you talk mm-hmm. about LGBTQ kids who are, are homeless, 
where mm-hmm. back in the yes. day you might have been literally kicked out on the street where you have some That's kids right. now who will say, well, they aren't really homeless because they're couch surfing, mm-hmm. you know, but they still don't have a home. That issue mm-hmm. of rejection and being put out mm-hmm. there is still there. So mm-hmm. I think that that part, like you said, when you have that, those intergenerational conversations and working together, mm-hmm. we can fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's, it's a dear friend of mine, she says, you've got to meet people where they are, no matter what. You are coming with all sincerity, understanding and approaching a person where they are, whatever the circumstances are, as you've just mentioned, Michelle, or whatever they are, that's the start on the right foot. You're not coming with preconceived notions. You're not coming uh, with any stronger judgments. I mean, there will be judgment you prefer not, you try not to, but you're just open and listening since authentically. You're on the right foot. You're starting out right. Mm. Uh-huh. Well, I have to. I have to tell you this, but I think it's you recently cut your hair. I see. There's a picture. There's a picture of you, and you're looking up, and the sun is on your face, and you've got mm-hmm. your your sunglasses on, and mm-hmm. it's like life. You know, you're alive. You're still doing it. But I know too. Like it's sort of like. Sometimes people want to put you in a silo, and it's like you can't mm-hmm. ever change. And if you do something simple as that, rather than celebrating where you're at, people are like, oh, you, you know, did you get a lot of that? Like, oh, what have you done? Or did people recognize that, you know, you're just moving forward with the my sun people, on your face? Listen, my people said, yes. Yeah. My people were celebratory. And honestly, mm-hmm. Michelle, that's nice, but I didn't do it for that. I did mm-hmm. it because um, I got my spiritual message that said, okay, daughter, your 15 years of dreadlocks have served you. We are bringing you into the next phase of your life. You have strengths that your locks gave you and the spiritual strength that that gave you. You, you, you got it. We've made sure that. Now you need to come on in this manner. Hmm. And so I cut them off. Now, what some people may not know is I used to wear my hair like this. I wore my hair short uh, at natural from elementary school all the way through high school and then in college until uh, I permed my hair and then, you know, perm, what have you, and then I finally cut it again started locked mm-hmm. the first time, cut those off for the same reason, the same mm-hmm. reason, okay, daughter, and then did the locks again. So this is the second time. No, I celebrate it. I love mm-hmm. it. My people, my people who know me, oh, my gosh, well, at least about to step in. The, okay, where, where, what are we doing? <laughs> where are you going? Mm-hmm. Mama, you know, you know. It's, it's liberating. It's liberating. Mm-hmm. The, the, the hair... I don't care what anybody says. My crown is power and Thank personal you. space. So I can't let anybody get up in his hair or touch it or what have you, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I would try to fight people on the street. Oh, can I take it? No. Mm-hmm. No. But it has served me. So now this is, this is the hair 
the air on the scalp, the gray showing off the beautiful gray because it's mine. I've earned it. Mm-hmm. It's strength. It's strength. It's strength. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I mean, like I said, the, I, what I thought was, was the best thing was that look on your face with the sun on your face. Like yes. you said, like you said, mm-hmm. it was almost like it was like, okay, daughter, this is, this is where you're headed and you're, and you're, really- you're there. And I just thought, wow, what a gorgeous picture. What Thank a gorgeous you. picture, you know, and, you. and and the spirit that came through it. But mm-hmm. there is, you know, often I wonder, you know, I talk to people, I said, you know, because there is that message, there is that story that we have that goes through our hair, and that's why, no, you shouldn't let people just touch it. I hate mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. I just hate that. To me, it's like so insulting because our hair tells a story. It tells a story of our survival. It tells so many stories of who we are. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's it's so disrespectful for people who want to to touch it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They they want to sit in their privilege. They want to uh-huh. sit in their privilege and entitlement and they you know, it it permeates everything. You are not uh important what they wish to do is important. And I'm telling you, Michelle, I have caught, and I'm going to tell you the truth, I've caught many white women on their wrists. I touch my hair and I'm like, yeah, oh, my God. But it's, mm-hmm. you don't do that. You just don't mm-hmm. do that. I try to do my best to protect my space. Um, mm-hmm. But, yes, I am moving forward in wonderful ways. I feel great. Um, and losing the hair is it, it's historical. I, I cut the locks off myself because, you know, only I can do that, put them on my altar, and then I went to the barber. This barber has been cutting my family's hair since at least 30 years, if not more. He cut my mother's hair. When we were all afroed out. My mother's hair, my father's hair, my brother's and mine. Then my brother grew his locks. I started mine. He was still cutting the, de- the chief's hair, and to this day, he still cuts the chief's hair. My father's 80 years old. So for me to walk into his store, his shop on 145th Street right off of Convent, it was good to see him. He's part of family. He's uh-huh. part of family. So that was a nice reconnecting, if you will, on my history. You know, mm-hmm. I also like how you said it was a spiritual. I mean, like you heard voices, and often we mm-hmm. don't hear Mm-hmm. those voices, you know, or we don't mm-hmm. listen to them. We get so we caught up listen. in what, we get we so caught up what, in what society is. is saying and these yeah. images and stuff mm-hmm. that we miss what, what's being said to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with so, that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that spirituality, and to me, people from the African diaspora, the black people, mm-hmm. we are deeply spiritual, you know, and but sometimes we, we quit listening to those voices. Do you find in a lot of what you do in your mentoring and your advising when you're working with people, when you're pulling together a conference, that that's one of the things that you try to help people get in touch with that spirituality, that, that voice within? I don't know if I'm trying to help folk to reconnect with the spirituality. I think spirituality is a very personal part of our lives and the individual really needs to come to whatever decision about it they do based on their experiences, what they believe in such, no matter what it is. 
But with the conference, it's just, I don't want to say, how do others to say? What we try to convey is this is the spiritual place. It's safe. It's a safe space. Uh-huh. So we acknowledge a spiritualness, if you will, but we are not pushing a particular spiritual agenda, right? Uh-huh. We do believe in indigenous people, our people indigenous to Africa, motherland, uh, and those who also, excuse me, identify as such. We acknowledge the spiritualness that has brought us forward, if you will. We acknowledge that and we, you know, try to keep bring that into the space, if you will, without, we don't do anything, you know, you know, the incense and whatnot. Our first conference, we did have drummers. We had sacred drummers. We poured libation and such and whatnot, which is great. Um, but that's, that's the extent of it. Um, and I think people uh-huh. get the message. People get whatever. People will see that and then they can decide for themselves how they uh-huh. feel about that. But we just, we just put it there as such. So how did you and Kim find each other and then come up with the concept of doing this conference? Oh, my goodness. Kim and I met <laughs> years ago, girl. We met at a film screening. I believe it was a film screening tons of years ago. And there was just a connection. Kim was dead very intelligent, smart person. I'm always attracting. I'm not saying romantically attracted. That's not what mm-hmm. it was. But the brain is what I'm listening for. What's going on in the brain? And if this brown, black, indigenous African person living in this society, and it's a person that has brain and access, then I need to at least turn around and pay attention. And Kim is just so cool. Um, over the years, we've done some work together. You know, we hung out, and she and her wife are just delightful. But mostly what I like is Kim's, um, she, that Capricorn realist, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, and she, she just lays it out there very clearly. But it's just a, it's a sisterly bond. It, it really is a, a sister bond. We believe in some of the same things. We want some of the same things for our people, for our SGL folk, black lesbians and such. And I just came up with this idea after having experienced what I felt was some erasure for black Mm -hmm. lesbians at an event that was promoted for all SGL, black, LGBTQI plus folk. And the erasure happened with us. And that mm-hmm. pissed me off. And I said, So, you know, I mm-hmm. decided, what am I going to do? I could be sitting in a corner taking Xanax and Valium, being angry and trying to calm myself. I could do something. And I ran the idea by Kim. I said, Kim, this is what happened. I want, I don't care if they meet in my tiny little space. Lisa, I want to have something for black lesbians, a space for black lesbians, for us to come together and be comfy and feel comfortable, share with sisters, meet each other, share stories, learn from each other, get tools for us to keep living because the society is practicing erasure and has been. 
It mm-hmm. has been. And she said, I like it. Sat down for hours, wrote it out. I mean, hours. Wrote it out, uh, came up with concept. Then we had a focus group of black lesbians that we knew who were doing strong work and have been doing strong work here in New York City, different ages, of course, and they all said, let's go. We with you. And that was it. That was in 20, it was either late 2013, pardon, yeah, late 2013 to early 2014, and then we mm-hmm. said about making it happen, the conference. Now, just for point of clarity, the conference, was the answer and still is the answer for creating that first level of space. Because Kim and I both believe in things having uh, not so much longevity, but I guess that's the best word right now, things having longevity and and being anchored in community and providing what the community needs. We knew it could not just be a conference. It had to be more. It had to accommodate more than that because we knew we were going to hear from our attendees about what their priorities were. And we really wanted to address as much of those priorities as we could. We know we can't do it all, but we want to hit some top ones. So we figured conference first. Let's hear from folks. Let's get two or three conferences under our belt. We hear from folks priorities, and then we begin to address them with some other things. What are them other things? We don't know yet, but let's get the conference going. And that's what we've been doing with the conference. And she's been there. She said day one. Day one. Mm-hmm. Even when we disagree, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We are committed to this project, um, to having it be as long as it is necessary, as long as community says it needs it as long as we can shepherd it and keep it going and keep it sustained, we're committed to it. Yeah. And we have some more did things that we're working on with it uh-huh. as well. Did you feel that when yeah, when they popped up that people of color umbrella and threw us under there, do you really do you feel that, that um in a way, a big way, part of the erasure where it was almost seemed like in some ways to me in some corners it almost said like if you said you were being you were black and not a person of color, like you know that just you know no 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 people of color mm-hmm. no I'm black. Do you mm-hmm. did you feel that too? Absolutely. That's why this happened. That's part uh-huh. of it. You know, you have uh-huh. something happen to you and you think about it, and then you start to consider all the other things that have happened that uh-huh. made you feel the same way. And for me, I did that, but I also did further, and I started reading more and talking with sisters I knew, understanding a little bit about the history of this country and the focus of this country, again, which is on capital and not people. The people of color absolutely is a tactic for for erasure, without any Uh question. That's not to say that those who invented it, their intentions may have been true, to provide space for, quote, people of color. But at the same time, no, it is erasure. It is diminishing. And one of the main reasons why I and Kim came up with Black Lesbian Conference is to create that space for black lesbians. And we have a definition of black lesbians. That's also probably took the longest to do. 
And it mm-hmm. is also a working document. We're going to look at it again. But now it, it's exactly, that is exactly completely it, the erasure of color, uh, indigenous people from priorities for this society, this country and society in particular, period. We are, uh, yes, we are of color, but we're black. At the same time, yeah, we, you said the, the, these spaces that were created under the people of color banner and said, yeah, okay, we went over there. We've done that, been there, done that, didn't work mm-hmm. for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. You, took, you co-opted our, our uh, work, our ideas, and our people, and when it came time to address our priorities, well, we, you know, again, with the duration, we, erasure, excuse me, we're diminished. That's not, we're going to put hold, we're going to postpone that, we're going to push that off and whatnot. But in the meantime, you're acquiring resources and all sorts of accolades and such based on the work that black people in general black lesbians in specific did, have done, and you're still not addressing us. You're not addressing things that are important to us. So we said, rather than we as Kim and I said, rather than trying to push those spaces, which has been done, those spaces have been pushed and held accountable, we just said, no, we're coming over here. Just like black people do. We start at uh-huh. home first. We start at home around a kitchen table, kitchen table press. We start at home uh, uh, at a kitchen table, which is where we meet here. My kitchen table, we say, okay, so what are we going to do? Here's some chicken, here's some salad. Now, what are we going to do? Okay, this idea, oh, this makes sense. That's exactly what it is. We hold back. That's the banner we raise. Have we gotten any pushback on that? Mm, not mm-hmm. surprisingly enough, not really. Not mm-hmm. really. We've had a couple of folks, and we give them the exact same answer, which is we start home first. Just like you do, and you have, and you have, and you have. Why can't we have a black lesbian this? Why can't we have black lesbian uh, space that welcomes those who also identify as black, queer, trans, and cisgender women who live and identify as black lesbians? Why can't we have that? We have that, and we're going to have it, and we're doing it. And, yeah, you know we have allies, we welcome allies and supporters to come, but they have to understand it's our agenda. These mm. are things that are important to us. If they can't get with us, if they come in with some subterfuge and modus operandi and nothing to do with us, then, you know, we'll deal with that. But, no, this is our space. This is ours. And the work that comes from this conference that we are going to roll out, I would say, over the next three to five years is coming from that. And it, I, I'm so excited about it. We're still writing it up and whatnot, but it's beautiful, you know. But yeah. Okay. You're right. Well, we're going mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to take our second break, and then I want to talk uh, – we're going to talk more about the conference. So we will be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. 
be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown with Elise Emery. She's one of the co-founders of Beyond Bold and Brave. Um, it is a conference by, for, and about black African descent lesbians. Now, you don't do it every year. You've no, done it every no. other year. Why, that is correct. What determined that? We are all volunteer. We're an all-volunteer team, and we're tired. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, no, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. <laughs> it's, excuse me. That is a part of it. Uh, I have over 25, 30 years work in producing events, activities, including conferences, concerts, and such. And I know the deal. Um, and we're all volunteer, as I said. We, um, and understanding that, knowing that we want this done right, we have a tremendous respect for our team. We don't, having it every other year gives us the time we need to make the gap, the conference as tight as we can make it and keeping in line with what community needs and expects. So it has to be every other year. It must. You know, and that is so, I mean, that is so smart and so brave. How often do you see, and it's like, you know, we, we kill ourselves, and then the next year you're rushing around trying to do it, mm-hmm. just to do it another year, when yes. to acknowledge that you're all volunteers, that you want mm-hmm. to do it right and have that commitment, and then to say, and you know what, to do it right, well, this is the pace that we have to take. And, you know, no matter how geeked up, because sometimes, you know, you can get caught up in the people being like, oh, this is so wonderful, I can't wait to come back next year. But to say, you know, no, it'll be the following year because we want you to continue to have these quality experiences. That's correct. That is absolutely correct. And, you know, Michelle, when we tell folks that, they get it. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay, that's cool. Seriously, they get it. They they really really get it. So yes, you you're on target. We have to. It's it's how we do now. Down the line, as our as we acquire resources to stabilize us, to stabilize our work, staff and whatnot. You know, now we'll probably still keep it every other year because we have the other things that we're looking to do. And, and, and the other things require equally the equal amount of time that we put uh-huh. towards the conference. Um, so yes, this is this is who we are. This is what we're doing. So the first one is in 2016. The theme was the evolution of our community. Mm-hmm. Then in 2018, it was work as memoir. Mm-hmm. And what's the theme for 2020? Ah, 2020's theme is revolutionary wellness. (laughs) Revolutionary wellness. Is this like, um, does this build on past themes or is this a totally different direction? 
it builds. It builds. The evolution of our community, the very first one, was to just think about what community is for us as black lesbians. Has it evolved? What is evolution? Has it evolved? Has it not? And how that is beneficial to us or detrimental to us? What are some of the things that we've done to uh, within that within that evolution of our community? Work as memoir. The next step was to address and consider that black lesbian work is important work that needs to be uh, that is memoir that is to be, I'm sorry, work is memoir is works for us to look at how the work that we do as individuals or collectives, wherever we are, wherever we're working and whatever we're doing, is part of the continuum of black lesbian history and work, work and history, which is long, which, again, the erasure comes up, which we, hear, uh-huh. we rarely, rarely hear about. It also was to help us see that the work we do is important as individuals, wherever we are. So work is important. Part of it, the importance of it is for folks to know about it, for us to leave a legacy for those to follow. We're not saying that everybody's got to create a museum to the Elise Emery work or the Michelle work, but mm-hmm. it's connected. It's connected. We have been told that we are not connected to anything. We are anomalies. We are freaks of nature. Black, as well, women, gay, lesbian, ugh, you know what I mean? But it's the mm-hmm. total opposite. It's the total opposite of that. Um, so we tried to push that. Not tried to push it, I'm sorry. That's what we addressed. And we've had some fantastic sessions on that. Our keynote, Cheryl Bunyan, just brought the fire to us with her presentation on that. Very, very important. This next year, the next conference is Revolutionary Wellness. We want to dig deeper into who we are as individuals and what we need to thrive and survive. That it's not necessarily health. It's wellness as a broader concept. And it's revolutionary, um, the tactics that we as black lesbians, black people, African descended people have used to retain and keep and um, keep our wellness, keep ourselves well, to continue doing the work, to continue surviving and thriving. We want to hear from sisters what they encountered, what have they done, things that are different. We're not here necessarily to be about pushing pharma. We're not here necessarily to be about pushing any particular way or agenda around of how people get to say, well, we want to put it all in the pot and see the new mm. things that are happening and what are the, quote, revolutionary and change um, things that are really going on so that those who don't know, they can find out and maybe adopt some of those um, processes and, and, and principles and such. It's a big one. It's, it's a big one. I wanted to do something. I knew even before work as memoir was over, I said, we got to do something on health. We have to do something on health, but I don't want it to be that standard health stuff. Go over here and get your pills. Go over here and walk 20 miles. 
go over here and all of these general solutions that really don't take into account who we are as black lesbians, the economic impact. That's the other thing about revolutionary wellness. What are the political, social, historical things that impact our wellness, cultural things? The uh, you know, anti-blackness, anti-self is what I like to call it, the hate that we have for ourselves that some of us have for each other. The fact that we do not, we are not open and flexible on conversations about our trans sisters. The fact that we are still harboring ugly uh, on the um, political side and other things. It's a lot of stuff. I had someone tell me, you know, you all need to have two conferences on this topic, (laughs) Mm -hmm. part one and part two. But it's just it's a it's a start it's an attempt that's what we're doing so it's big. and you know and I think that there's a lot of things that like you said that wellness encompasses so many things it's not like you mm-hmm. said it's not just about yes it's healthcare but then also to recognize and identify the stressors and the trauma mm-hmm. that's put mm-hmm. on us just as being black female mm-hmm. same gender loving. In America, you know, mm-hmm. in, in America, America. capitalism—that's right, you know—that's right. And how that that's affects right. us, and then how do you find ways to, you know, recognizing how you react to those things, but how do you find mm-hmm. ways to heal from that, or to protect yes. yourself, or strengthen your resolve? Yes, yes, strengthening the resolve. I am. Um, I completely agree, and I'm hoping we get some uh, uh, programming that talks about the history and goes deeper than just slavery, goes deeper than just, you know, we were brought from the motherland, stolen and whatnot. I, I really hope we get some programming that goes deep into, um, what is it, the societal piece of it. I'm sorry, not societal what we have been socialized to believe Mm -hmm. over all these generations, the whole light versus dark issue, which has nothing to do with black folks. Mm -hmm. That's serious. The whole uh, construct of what is a lesbian? What is a lesbian? What is a same gender loving person? And that keeps coming up also. The, The LGBTQI plus, same gender loving, butch, diet, queer, all of these terms that the continuum of us choose to identify, use, uh, that we are comfortable with, there is stuff going on there that impacts our health as well. Mm-hmm. Our wealth, our wellness is equally. You know, the deeper conversation, deep, 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 and, and attendees and presenters willing to step into that. Because that's not easy. That's not easy at all. It's not sexy. Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's not the sexy mm-hmm. stuff to talk about. But it, it, yeah. it, it, this stuff impacts us. It really does. Truly yeah. does. Truly. Mm-hmm. Like I said, some of it is, it is that, that hard, those hard conversations that you don't want to, you know, that we don't want to talk to, you know, because, I know I was in a, a group in a conversation not long ago, and they were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, who are black lesbians. And 
Ooh. afterwards, and we were talking about, and, you know, I have a son, you know, another woman, they were mm-hmm. having a son, and later on, afterwards, this woman sort of eased over to me, and she said, you know, I had a son, I have a family, some kids, I was married at one point in time, she said, but I knew I was a lesbian, but you know, it was, and that's true, that mm-hmm. was the path, because particularly for, you know, that we have to deal with that trauma, and how do we not put down or discriminate or dislike each other, you know, say, well, mm-hmm. you're not lesbian enough, you know, don't deny who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you were married. Dynamic. Okay. Yeah. What was that whole family yeah. dynamic? And how that often that construct of that family and the role for women, it wasn't what we chose, you know, it wasn't what we chose. It was what society said that we had to emulate in order for mm-hmm. us as black people to be acceptable, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and acceptable just to live, just to get a mm-hmm. job, just to feed our families and, and survive. You had to conform to this construct. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. I, I hope I answered your question. I didn't mean to go off no, on a no, tangent. But no, no, but I, I think, you know, I mean, it is, I love that you did because this is not a health fair, you know. We want to tell people this is not a health fair. This is revolutionary wellness to where we're looking at the whole thing from a historical, societal, mind, body, spirit point of view, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it is. And we we will have some health companies there. Um, I'm in talks with a clinic. One of our consistent sponsors just opened up a clinic for women and such, mm-hmm. and they are very excited to come back to us. I'm going to meet with them this week to talk. They're very excited to come back with us to talk about how they can contribute on the scene, on, on the scene to the conference and such. Um, and learn, learn more about who we are, and uh, we learn from them what they're offering. Um, there are a lot of ways it can do. We can do, but again, I said this earlier. Folk have to get if they're coming to be involved with us as attendees or supporters, sponsors, and such. Like with anything else, you got to meet us where we are. And if your agenda mm-hmm. can't, you know, meet with that, then that's fine. We, we know we're not going to, you know, we know we're not going to everybody. But we're not necessarily trying to be everybody and have mm-hmm. everybody in the room for whatever reason. But you're right, Michelle. You hit it dead on. We want to go deeper. We want to go deeper. Mm-hmm. And give you a little bottle of hand sanitizer just in case. <laughs> in your conference bag or something. You know, whatever. What at the, at the same time, give you some information about voting rights. Hello, because it's an election mm-hmm. year. All of that as well. That is yep, all well. You talk about uh-huh. trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, because, yeah. you know, really, yeah. I mean, and just, I mean, there's so many things that, that we we deal with and to recognize and to be able to have those conversations. Now, you're going to be back at Barnard University. Um, Barnard College. Barnard, Barnard College. College. I'm sorry, Barnard College. College. Yes, ma'am. Um, mm-hmm. How did that site, I mean, I know where it is. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good location, but how did you, that partnership come about? Oh, my goodness. When Kim and I were developing the idea, we said we wanted this conference to be in a place 
that was charged with nurturing and developing critical brains, critical thinking brains, uh-huh. and responsible citizenry. So Barnard College, which, as you know, is a college here in New York, one of the elite colleges for women, um, we had them in our sights. And through a wonderful contact, we got to them and met with the outgoing director of the Center for Research on Women. And they wanted us to come, but the dates didn't hash out. So we went to somewhere else. That place... Um, excuse me, they had to um, they had to fall back with us, so then we went back to Barnard and Barnard said, yes, come on through, we'd love to have you. And they had just hired a new director of the Center for Research on Women, and she was wonderful. So we did it, and they have been not just a uh, fiscal agent and supplier of our venue, but just nurturing, again, mentoring, Mentorship, uh-huh. you, cannot, you cannot get it much better than that. The director, the team, the, um, they're all just wonderful. They were all just wonderful and have been for our last two conferences. We're thrilled that we can come back again to them. Um, and it works. It's, it's a beautiful physical environment. It is a campus. We come, the first one was in March of 2016, I'm sorry, not March, excuse me. 2016, it was great. The second one, 2018, there again, beautiful campus, um, warm weather, folks, it's, it's lovely. So we're back. Uh-huh. And we love them. We love uh-huh. Barnes Center for Research on Women. Um, Elizabeth Costelli is their interim director, and her team, Pamela and Avi and Tammy, are wonderful. Uh-huh. And who are some of your other sponsors? Um, for this year, right now, of course, the Center for Research on Women, they are, are presenting. We, have, we are currently acquiring sponsors okay. as of now. Right now, we have the Black LGBT Alliance in New York. They've come on as a sponsor. Our previous sponsors for other conferences, New York Women's Foundation, uh, the Legal, Estrella Foundation. Last year, we had new sponsorship from HBO, which is Divine. Um, gosh, I can't see. This is what happens when you have too much stuff on you. I'm sorry. Um, no, but because I want, I want to name them. They're really, really outstanding. Callan Lord Health Center. Um, here in New York, fine work. Uh, the St. Mary Center Adult Day Health Center in Harlem, the task force, National LGBT Task Force that produces uh, creating change every year. Uh-huh. And the LGBT Center Sage, just wonderful sponsors. We also have a dedicated team of outreach partners who get the word out like you wouldn't believe because they know. They, you know. They're on the ground. That's Alouche in Brooklyn Boyhood, uh, Lesbians of Color Symposium in Boston, NITAG, which is a New York Transgender Advocacy Group, NYC Black Pride, what, you know, just Women in the Life, Zami Nobler. You familiar with Zami uh-huh. Nobler in Atlanta? You know them. That's Marianne. Oh, uh-huh. my gosh. Uh-huh. She's like a godmother, an auntie. <laughs> you know, every year 
She gives uh-huh. us great, great input. She gives us wonderful outreach support as we do to her and her work. It's a model that we're paying very close attention to. Standing over so do, is just wonderful. Do you have the date set for 2020 yet? We are getting the dates confirmed this month. So for now, we're saying it's summer 2020, which is July, any through from July through early August. Uh-huh. But we're just waiting. We should have those dates confirmed this month. Okay. Mm-hmm. And for, um, like you said, it, it's for black lesbians. Um, I mm-hmm. heard you say that um, allies are welcome, but they need to stay in their lane. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> You're welcome, but yeah. you have to stay in your lane. What's mm-hmm. the best way for people to find out what's going on? And when once registration goes up to register so to make sure that they are they know when it's going on and to be a part of it. Certainly. They can go to our website beyondboldandbrave.org and there they can sign up for the newsletter. They can to get uh the newsletter we they will get uh, updates on everything that's going on as well as some other things that we're up to. That's the website. We are also on Facebook, which they can also get when they go to the website. Uh, Facebook is Beyond Bold Brave. No word and, just Beyond Bold Brave. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can reach out to us, blacklesbianconference at gmail.com if they have any questions and such. Yeah, and that's for anybody. That's for people that want to go. That's for folks that might be interested in sponsorships. We'd love to talk to you. Absolutely. People want to sponsor or strategic partnerships and such. We'd love that. We suspect by well, no, let me not say that. Once we get our dates, then we will send our request for proposals out for uh, presentations and such. Mm-hmm. and other information. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that, that's exciting. I, like I said, I intend to be there. Um, Good. You know, I, I definitely intend to be there. You know, I've got, I'm just waiting to find out the dates, but you can count me in. I will be there. I am. Thank you. You know, and, and like I said, it's been great watching it develop and sort of see, and, and so many smart things like that every other year. That continued <laughs> growth and building mm-hmm. on one things to, that really makes you think about us as a community. And I appreciate and thank you for the work that you're doing. So, what's next on your agenda? I'm trying to lay down. I'm tired. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I hear that. Girl, it's next on my agenda is so much. I um just hashing out the next line of projects for us, which I woke up 3 o'clock in the morning, and I, I have sticky pad and ink pen by my bed because I get these ideas. I've got to write them down. I want to forget mm-hmm. um, Yeah, the stabilizing BLC, preparing for the next uh projects that come from this project and what that looks like. Um, and we're looking for a fiscal, we really need a fiscal sponsor. 
We really, uh-huh. really want a fiscal sponsor that can just provide us with all of those services. Right now, Barnard is doing that, which is great. We need some things additional. So, you know, we're in the market, which is part, and this is part of stabilizing our work. That's the big thing. That's the really uh-huh. big thing. Um, yeah, doing that, supporting folks doing their work and continuing on with the rest of my work, my work in Delta and all my uh, project work. It's a lot. It's a lot. You know, it must be a Libra thing because I have the pens and the and the notepad by the bed, and I often do that myself. Wake up and and I'm writing down. Oh, yep, I got to think about this. Oh, do that. Yeah. So I have I, no I, choice. I have no mm-hmm. choice. I, I have mm-hmm. to. I'm also. Tra- oh, I'm traveling next month, November. Mm-hmm. I am part. Speaking of mentorship, I'm part of a mentoring roundtable uh, sessions at the. Um, Association for the Study of Worldwide African Diaspora Conference in Virginia. And then I'm going to San Diego for the American Academy of Religion um, Conference, which I'm just going to hang out mm-hmm. with some of my uh, colleagues and such. And, but that is. And then in January, we get truly, truly uh, deep into production for the conference, planning for the conference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It'll be busy. Wow. Like I said, at some point I'm gonna lay down. Probably in <laughs> September of next year. I'm gonna lay down. So I'm gonna so like, what are you doing? I'm laying down for about a month. <laughs> I gotta lay. I know I gotta lay down, and it won't be long because I can't help it. You're a Libra. You understand the ideas mm-hmm. just keep going. They keep coming and keep coming. Mm-hmm. Like, stop it! Stop it! I'm resting. Stop it! But it's okay. I'm a blessed child of creator, so I'm not complaining. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, Elise, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with me today. Um, keep me posted as we get um, closer to it, you know, and if you have any, you know, I'm always open to having closer you coming back as it, as it formalizes to tell people more about it. I already know people from Michigan who have said, Oh, we're going to that. They didn't know when, but they said, uh, we know you're doing it in 2020. They intend to go. So there will be a Michigan contingency there. Oh, I love but, it. Thank you. you. Know, so, so we're going to make you. this happen. You know? be, we will be glad to welcome you. Um, I know a few folks in Michigan um, at the Ruth Ellis Center, actually, wonderful mm-hmm. folks. And uh-huh. they are there, so like you, just give us the dates. Um, but thank you, Michelle. This was a great opportunity. I'm really, really thankful for you to chat with me, but also to do this work, this strong work. We need this, and you are exemplary. You are creating this memoir of our work, just doing what you do when you travel and you're speaking engagements, but this is this also, these interviews. Thank you so much for that. I want to thank today's guest, co-founder of the Beyond Bold and Brave Conference, Elise Emery. The Beyond Bold and Brave Conference addresses the marginalization of Black, African descent lesbians with few public spaces dedicated to addressing issues unique to them. The next conference is scheduled for the summer of 2020 at Barnard College in New York. 
Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.